Ron and Anian, they're putting regular tires with no spare, absolutely no spare in the trunk. So I ask you, what's in your trunk? The car doctor. She kept saying he had new tires. When? Three years ago. Then they're not new. Trust me, after they go down the road once, they're not new. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, Ronnie Nini and the Car Doctor. Thanks for stopping by the show today and sitting down with me as we talk about car problems. Hopefully it's one of yours, and hopefully we've got a solution for you, and I'm sure we do. Because after 43 years of fixing cars, I found that there's always a way around it, even if you have to think outside the box. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. More information, podcasts, other things or stuff, as we like to say, available at cardoctorshow.com. Links there also to tune in, iHeart and iTunes.com, all places you can take podcasting from and subscribe with some of those if you don't want to just do it from the podcast on our website every week. And if you need me during the week, Ron at Cardoctorshow.com. But please, by all means, when you do, if we have any kind of dialogue or conversation, whether it be a website contact from Cardoctorshow.com or you email me, Ron at Cardoctorshow.com, please include a phone number. Um, you, you never know. Listen, you never know. Sometimes I just pick up the phone and I answer the question at the end of the day just to, if somebody's in trouble in an emergency. It's a it's a it's a kabeba, and I'd rather just you know put it to bed and get it over with. Sometimes I want Harry to call them and say, "Hey, can you come on up here on air?" Uh, but a phone number does help us, so please by all means include it. You ever have a car that has an air conditioning problem that you've done everything to it, but it's still not quite right? Two thousand eight, Mercury Grand Marquis came in the shop at our automotive this week, and. It was one of those cars. It sort of had that particular problem, that it just wasn't quite right. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. The air conditioning had been charged. They had done a condenser. They'd done an orifice tube. A bunch of work had been done and replaced on it, but nothing really made that car right. And it's interesting to note because going through the diagnosis, I've learned on air conditioning you just you've got to go back to basics. You've got to go back and look at you got to look at the simple stuff. And you've got to sort of separate it. And you know, is it electronic? Is it mechanical? Is it the air conditioning system itself? Just what exactly is it? And above all else you're dealing with air conditioning, you want to look at pressures. Pressure and temperature have a direct relationship and it's very very important. I went through my drill, which includes code scanning. I scanned it for codes there were none. The gem or the body module, whichever flavor of car you want to talk about, was okay. And this really applies to a lot of vehicles. The This particular car had split air conditioning, left and right, You know, you could, which I never really understood that. Can someone explain that to me, why you design a car? You know, like, I'll be driving in the car. I'm here. My wife is there. I've got it set at 60 and, you know, D.C., damn colder. And she's trying to make it to, you know, you know, something other than that. She's always got the temperature knob up. I've never figured that out. And I keep looking. There's no magic wall between us that, you know, I get to make it colder and she gets to make it warmer that it's, it's actually going to work. The, the air mixes. So my point is 
this is a particular Merc had split air conditioning left and right. And I noticed that when I started out first thing in the morning, the air conditioning was always better. Take it down the road, 40, 40 degrees, 38 degrees. It was always a lot colder. And I had no codes, and I knew the refrigerant charge was right, and I knew system pressures read normal. Or did they? I noticed that the low side charging pressure or low side running pressure was typically lower when I first started out. And I said, okay, I, I kind of get that. That's that's temperature of the day and, you know, it's, it's, it's temperature of the refrigerant gas that's in the system. And I understand all that. High side was typically 190 to 200 PSI. But then I noticed that as I drove the car longer, the temperature out of the ducts would creep up. and Sometimes it would be 48, 50 degrees and just not enough on a 90-degree day. It just didn't give you that crispness or that coldness. And I also noticed that the low side pressure went up. Not high side, low side pressure went up. Gee, what can change low side pressure? What's changing here? What's making this happen but not that? The next day... I got out a I got out a pair of uh, I got a pair of hemostats, you know, long those long like needle nose like locking pliers, and I lifted the hood, and I pinched off the heater core inlet where they put in hot water through the heater core. Pinched it off, took the car for a ride. That car maintained thirty eight forty degrees the entire day, so that told me. And in the old days, if the car had a water valve, that it would be as if the hot water valve was leaking, letting hot water into the heater core. But they don't do that anymore because technology has taken over. And instead, they do it all with blend doors. And they, they and on this particular car, because it was a left and a right, I noticed that the problem was stronger on the right side vents than it was on the left side vents. I kept thinking my wife was here somewhere because she likes it warmer on the right side than I do when I'm sitting on the left where I want it colder. I took a look at the blend door actuator. You always hear me talk about blend doors and actuators. They actually split the doors on this particular car so that the way they get the left person cold and the right person hot is they change the position of the door over the heater core so that it will have a direct effect on air temp outlet, or in this case, AC evaporator over over air temp outlet coming out. Turns out, the right side actuator every once in a while would stick. It just didn't really allow it to slam shut all the way, thereby blocking off the airflow against that warm heater core. And it doesn't take much, you know, a tenth of of an opening, if it's not a good seal, is just enough to superheat that super cold air into warmer air. Took the blend door actuator out. Put a new one in it after some other tests just to verify the sweep and the functionality of it. And, yeah, that's what fixed the car. You know, it's funny. I thought of my daughter this week. My my youngest always tells me, she says, you know, Dad, one of the things I've learned growing up with you is that y- you always think outside the box. And you always try to look at it as, well, if this doesn't do it, where will you go next? And she says, I've always applied that in life lessons, and those are some of the life lessons you've taught me. And... 
you know, it's funny, right? You, you, you don't expect it from your kids, but sometimes your kids are your best guides and they tell you what you're good at without you even realizing it because I started thinking outside the box. I thought of Rachel. I knew what I had to do, and I went after the heater core and the hoses and realized it would ultimately draw me to the actuator, which is not a common failure. But my point is sometimes thinking outside the box gets you a win, and a win of any kind, especially when it comes to fixing cars, is always a good win. So keep that one in mind. Uh, Put that one in your diagnostic arsenal. Sometimes the AC system is mechanically correct. In this case, it was. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. People were changing parts for at random for no reason whatsoever. The problem was in the way the heater core was warming up the air and at the wrong time and creating the issue that um, that it saw. So uh, just one for the books, and uh, I learned something from it. And, uh, Rachel, if you ever hear this, thanks, kiddo. I appreciate that thought. You help pop fix a car. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. When we get back, we're going to kick the garage doors open. Stay tuned. Nothing can catch her, nothing can touch my 409, 409 Let's kick the garage doors open and go over and talk to Mike in New Hampshire. Some questions and comments. Mike, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. I love your show. Thank you. Uh, always intrigued by what you have to say. Thank you. Um, I wanted to pick your brain about a, a unique Japanese car. Um, what's your take on the, the Mazda rotary engine? I like the rotaries. And, you know, rotaries, when we talk about rotaries, it gives me the chance to tell one of my favorite stories about automobiles and repairs. You ready? Yeah. Back in the early 70s, now I'm dating myself here, all right, when the rotaries first came out, they were amazing. The first year Mazda came out with rotaries, if memory serves me correct, I believe was 1972 or 73. So it was a while ago. I was a kid in high school. And I I remember one of the teachers showed up with one of those funny little, and it made that sound. And we just went, wow, that's the, that's the weirdest thing. It was like your English teacher was driving it. Like how, how uncool is that? That just didn't make any sense to us. And then one day he, he wound it out so hard. He actually blew the rotary up, but he wasn't unlike a lot of people in that a lot of people, the first-year rotaries would blow up because they revved so high, they made so much power, Mazda never put tax in them. And they actually had a retrofit that first year, 72, and I think 73, so it was one year or the other. They actually had a retrofit. They had to come out with retrofit kits to put tachometers in cars, and that's when I first learned about factory recalls and the power of them as I watched everybody get factory tachometers through a friend of mine that worked at the Mazda dealer part-time through work study. And I learned about rotaries that way. The rotaries, I'll tell you what, it's pretty tough to do. They are they are much more bulletproof today, and they've come a long way. And if you, got, you can get your hands on one and you enjoy the car and you understand the intricacies of it and, and what's involved, um, I, I wouldn't be afraid of it by any stretch of the imagination. I think they're real solid motors. I'd have to agree. Yeah. I, um, you know, are you looking to purchase it in anything in particular? What, an RX-8? I actually previously owned an RX-8. Right. Um, but it had some wiring issues, and I ultimately traded it in. For? 
uh, a Hyundai SUV. Yeah. How happy are you? You don't sound happy. <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah. No. no, listen, they're solid. As a matter of fact, back in the mid to late 80s, the RX-7s, if you, set yep. them up, if you set them upright, you could power shift that thing first to second, get it to chirp the tires, and you could do a one, two, two, three power shift to get it to chirp the tires each time. Um, they made lots of power. And the really neat thing is the RX-7s didn't get a lot of respect. So you, you could creep up on some fat guy in an old Corvette and kind of blow his doors off a little bit if he was in one of the smog motors, if, if he was in an early 70s smogger or, or a late 70s smogger GM Corvette, you know, that was choking out. Um, it was just absolutely amazing. So I, I have no fear about him. Just stay on top of the oil changes, stay on top of the maintenance, and you'll be just fine. All right, sir? Hope you get another one, Michael, and uh, good luck to you, and uh, you get out of that Hyundai. Um, like I always say, buy something you like, because if you don't if you don't like it, you don't want to fix it. And sooner or later, whatever you drive is going to break, and it's going to need to be repaired. Let's go over to William, Waterloo, Iowa, 98 Buick, and some questions about engine and transmission repair. William, welcome to the car doctor, sir. What's going on? Uh, how you doing, Ron? All right. Uh, I got a 98 Buick, and I lost all oil pressure. Okay. I uh, pulled the oil pan off, and I found shavings in there up on the pickup screen and about an inch of sludge on the bottom. And So what I did was I stuck my finger up there on a connecting rod, and I can move it side to side with no pressure. Oh, boy. Well, you know, so side moved. side to side is, you know, it's it's going to have lateral movement side to side. That's, you know, that's end gap play between the rods. Is it, is it, is it clunking? Does it exceed the value? You know, you should really check it with a feeler gauge to see what the end spec is. Oh, all right. I never did that. But yeah. Here's the rest of the story. Uh, Go ahead. So I put a new gasket on, a new pickup screen, and I tried it, and I had the same result. And uh, no oil pressure, and it was starting to tap, so I turned the engine off, and I figured since there was metal in there, it'd be a, probably an engine change. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, and uh, I've never done a transaxle before, and I was just wondering what is involved versus, like, the usual conventional V8 where it sits in there and it's just rear-wheel drive and... I've done a few of those before, but but uh, I've never done a transaxle, and I'm kind of, you know, I don't know if it's above my... <laughs> Pay grade? Uh, yeah. How old are you, William? I'm 55, but I'm an aircraft mechanic by trade. Okay, so and I was going to ask you, that was my next question, what do you do for a living? So what, what, kind, of, what kind of airplanes do you work on? Well, I worked on DC-10s and... Uh, 757s and 320s. And no kidding. My dad worked on DC-3s yeah. back in the war. Um, oh, no, it was DC-10s. Um, what, back in the war they were 10s? The big, uh, big big air refuelers. Uh, I did the Desert Storm in Afghanistan. I just retired. And, yeah. But uh, worked at United Airlines on heavy maintenance. and. Yeah, my dad was American Airlines during the Second World War. So it was a so, it was a while ago. But here's my here's my question. Here's my question to you: If the if if somebody brought you something other than that you were used to working on, would you still take it apart? Probably. Don't 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 fear it, man. All right, it's just an engine and a transmission. It's just listen. Here's what you got to think about: you're just you're just pulling the engine and the transmission out of something. 
that the engineer put in there the wrong way. So it's, right. it's, it's not your fault. It's not your fault he turned it 90 degrees. Um, but it's still got yeah. all the same things. It's still got the mounts. It's still got, you know, I would tell you to disconnect the axles and just go slow one piece at a time. The real question is, does the, is the car going to justify the expense of doing an engine and a transmission? Because theoretically, you know, between an engine and a trans, you've probably got $3,500, $4,000 in, in, in componentry and You've got to figure five hundred dollars in hard parts and tune-up parts and filters and things like that. You'll probably spend five grand in material. Is it really worth it on a night on a on a ninety-eight? What kind of shape is the rest of the car in? Well, I uh, I checked with junkyards, and I was looking at a used engine, and it was like four fifty and and uh, probably a hundred dollars for oil and antifreeze and stuff like that. And right. I was I wasn't going to go new rebuilt engine. And the car is actually in real nice shape. Okay. So, and then what about I mean, what about the? Really dis- I was going to say, what about the transmission? Trans operating okay? Oh, transmission's real good. Yeah. Okay. Never a problem. And, then the and, old. Uh, it's been really maintained real good. I'm just kind of dumbfounded why it why that bearing went out. So. Yeah. Well, the only thing I want the only thing I want to caution you to take a look at before you do this and maybe you know already, is take a look at the brake and the fuel lines running down the driver's side of the floor pan. Yeah. And take a look at the brake line that comes over from the master cylinder or the ABS controller. It runs against the firewall, and it controls yeah. the right front brake. Just, right. just just make sure all those lines are in good condition. Oh, all right. That's all right. what you're saying. Uh, you know, and the reason I say that is, is because, A... They're no longer available from General Motors, all right, as an assembly. It's got to be something that's got to be bent by hand. And, B, if you decide to go ahead with this, doing it while the engine is out of the car is a whole lot easier, particularly the one that runs to the right front against the firewall. You'll have access to everything. Oh, all right. Okay. And then, you know, take it slow. Listen, uh, you know what? It's a project. Just do it one step at a time. Take pictures. Treat it like a hot rod. I'm sure you've done a few hot rods in your lifetime. And um, yeah, I've done uh, I've done transmissions and I've done clutches. I've done struts on that. I've done hub bearings. I've done the intake, of course. You know yeah. all those. Oh happen. sure, yeah. And and at that point, like I say, just just take some pictures of what you take apart and treat it like a hot rod, bag and tag. And you'll have everything ready for reassembly. But, yeah, fear not. Listen, the engineer put it back the wrong way. You'll put it back the wrong way, but at least you'll get it in and out. Good luck to you, William. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor, and I'm back right after this. She's real fine, my 409. She's real fine, my 409, my 409. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor here. You know, it's it's a little bit of a commentary here in that we're going to talk about how some of the senior drivers are facing issues with, with technology. It's becoming a real issue for them. A recent article in the Chicago Tribune pointed out that a lot of people are having issues with technology. And it starts off with a Cynthia Manson, how she was resisting sales pressure to remove her trim level. She was looking at a 2014 Ford Edge. And she liked the lower-grade SE Edge simply because she really wanted a CD player for her books. 
and a navigation system and a remote start. But she didn't want all of the other bells and whistles. And as she pointed out, she said, I think when you have too much stuff like automatic braking and lane departure warning and all that, you begin to rely on it too much and you lose your focus, said Manson 70, a former bus driver for the Chicago Transit Authority. Trust me, if anybody knows about driving, I'm sure it's her driving a bus for the city of Chicago. And it's an interesting article to read because it talks about how cars are making us dumber. And to a large degree, they are. You start to become dependent upon the car to do far too much. And it it weakens us in terms of how we make decisions and what our capabilities of. And, well, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later. Let's get back to the phones. Let's go over and talk to Spencer in Lansing, Michigan. Spencer, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, how's it going? Good. What's going on? Uh, so I have a 2012 Ford Edge. Okay. Okay. And it's, it's one of the EcoBoosts. And so basically I've been kind of, uh, um, how would you say, uh, church around by the by the mechanics. Okay. Um, so basically what happens is my brake system went out, uh, and it basically my mechanic said as if it is I'm driving on ice at all times. And so when I go into reverse, it, it moves forward, it jerks forward, and when I go into park, it jerks backwards really fast. So I kind of trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get it around my head. Are you, are you describing a brake problem to me? Are you describing a trans I, I, problem to me? Are you? I, I, I guess I guess it's a brake problem. According to I'm looking at the sheet right now. Um, my mechanic, in a sense, said that the brake booster is definitely bad. Right. Very common. Um, okay. It's, yeah. Very common on those. I'm not saying it is in your case, but it, it wouldn't be the first time that I've heard this as an issue. As a matter of fact, I thought there were um, uh, several bulletins out. I'm pretty sure there are several bulletins out that talk about it. So it's it's okay. it's, it's it's not completely unusual. But I, I don't understand the connection between okay. that and you're putting it in drive and it's going backwards. Okay. Yeah, and that's and that's what I'm trying to figure out too. I think there's two different problems. Right. So I'm I'm looking at the sheet as we speak right now, and it says my mechanic basically came to the conclusion, uh, getting proper vacuum does not start upon startup. I don't I don't know if that has anything to do with you know when I when I put it in reverse and it jerks forward if that's the brake system as well. Um, I'm, I'm, I I don't know cars. Let me, well, let me, yeah, no, no, I get it. Let me let me ask you this, Spencer: Is this the four cylinder or is this the six cylinder? This is the four cylinder. Okay. Well, here's the deal: the four cylinder uses a cam-driven vacuum pump to supply vacuum. Okay. So that changes a little bit. What I would tell your mechanic to do is verify that the vacuum pump is is working properly that it's 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 working to spec did you ever have tropical fish you ever have fish as a kid yeah, yeah okay and if, if the water got dirty if the water was dirty you woke up the next morning and went ma there's algae all over the tank right what'd you do the first you, you you didn't just replace the water you always checked the pump to make sure that it was working properly right exactly so same thing before we change the booster which isn't working properly let's make uh. sure that the thing that feeds it like the pump in the fish tank the vacuum pump on the engine Let's make sure that that's working properly and it's doing what it's supposed to do. All right. That makes me feel a lot better hearing that from you. Okay. but <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Let me ask you this last question, then I'll let you go. Your mechanic okay. that you're going to, he's your regular? You've been going to him for yeah. a while? Yeah, I've, I've been with him for about a year and a half now. Um, 
And, and the thing is, the car dealership I bought the car from gave me a warranty at another dealership, at right. another garage. Okay. And that's the, that's the garage that's been jerking me around. Right. Um, you know, they want to charge me so much money to look at the car. When I have my mechanic, you know, I have it on paper and such. Right. You know. Let me, let me, well, let me ask you this question. Did your mechanic diagnose it or he's going by the seat of his pants? Yeah, he diagnosed it. Okay. You know, it's, it's, you know, Spencer, and I, I understand why people are hesitant to come to mechanics. I had a couple of, just in the last week, can you give me a price on exhaust for my Honda Civic? I, I can give you an approximation, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's hard to really, without really looking at it, to sit there and say, you know, you need exhaust from the cat back, it's going to be $500 or $600 or whatever it is. And, and time is money. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times mechanics are hesitant to even mention the fact that time is money. I'll tell you right up front, time is money. Uh, you know, it's that, but it's also true that answers just don't fly off of shelves. Like parts don't jump into cars. Your mechanic should charge you for some kind of a diagnosis, something. And mm-hmm. you know, you, and I only, I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying this to everybody. You know, it's important to pay the mechanic for a diagnosis simply because it allows him to research and be accurate in his diagnosis. Not that I'm encouraging okay. anybody to give a mechanic money. Mm-hmm. Um, but think of it like this. If you went to a doctor and you said, Doc, my elbow hurts, mm-hmm. would you pay him to run tests? Yeah, of course. And then when he comes up and he tells you you need a new elbow, would you pay him for the elbow? I mean, I would pay for as much as I can get, yeah. Right, yeah. So it's like, what's the difference? Um, exactly. You know, it's it's and the mechanic got it tougher because he's got to know a whole lot more than just yeah. two models. So, um, yeah, I I'm glad that you were able. You opened my eyes up a lot more. Oh. Help me out. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Spencer. Good luck to you. And listen, if you need me during the week, if if this doesn't work out for you, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. Drop me a line. Thanks. All right, you take good care. Eight five 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 six zero. Well, you know it's it's important. Now I didn't ask him how old he was. Spencer sounded like you know a young fella. It's important to get people on the right track. It blows my mind. People will walk into the shop. They're in their mid forties. I haven't been able to find a good mechanic. Because they're all crooks. Really? You're telling me you've been driving, let's see, 45. Somebody's 45. Tony, how old are you when you drive? 18, right? So where are you, 45, 35? 36 years, 37 years? You haven't found a good mechanic in 36 years? And they're all crooks? Um, We're not talking about politicians. We're talking about car mechanics. If we're talking about politicians, that's another story. But uh, i got to take my shot where I can. Um, My point is that... You know, there's got to be a question there. So find a mechanic, talk to him, have a relationship, all right? They should talk to you, and they should treat you courteously, and they should give you answers. They should give you an estimate. And you know what? You shouldn't ever have to walk in and say, hey, Ron, how much is it to put exhaust on my Civic? Because if you're a regular with Ron, Ron knows the car, and he should be able to quote you ballpark numbers off the top of his head. That's not completely unreasonable, too. In a lot of cases, eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back. Hang on to your hats.
Hey, welcome back. Ron and Andy in the Car Doctor. You know, we're living life in the fast lane. We're answering your car questions here on the Car Doctor at 855-560-9900. And I just, real quick before we get to the next call, I, you know, I think about it during the week. I have such a unique life and such a great life in that I'm able to do this. And I was the lucky guy that got on radio to sit here and talk about something I've been doing for such a long time that it really touches me with your letters and your emails and it, just the conversations, those local around us, when they bump into me and they figure out what it is I do and who I am, and not that it's that big a deal, but it's just it's it's interesting. And all your all your responses are very heartfelt, and um, I appreciate each and every one of them. And I wanted to say thank you for all the years of uh, putting up with me, as it were. So uh, to many more, let's get over to the phones. Let's go talk to Rich. In is this right in Barris, Minnesota? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Wow. Uh, extreme northeastern Minnesota. I've never heard of that. Embarrass Minnesota. That's kind of a unique name. Um, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I have to explain it to people sometimes. Yeah. Uh, is, is there a reason? Like, how did that come to be? Like, I believe the origin is from a French word. Um, having this, this is a logging area at one time. And has something to do with log jams or something like that. Yeah, or maybe, maybe you know, maybe back when the French were doing lumber, it was um, it was an expression for being caught peeing outside with your pants down or something. You were embarrassed, embarrassed well, Minnesota. Well, that's a possibility. Uh, that's a possibility. Anyway, what's going on here, Richard? Well, I have F one fifty. It's uh, two thousand six that I purchased new. It currently has almost two hundred fifty thousand miles on it. Okay. And I know that uh, the time is coming that I'm going to have to make a decision um, as to what I need to do. And I figure I've got three different options. Uh, One would be to purchase an older vehicle uh, that's in good shape, invest money into it, and get it up to, uh, you know, basically a brand-new vehicle. Right. Uh, Second would be to... um, Get a crate engine and probably a new transmission and slap it into the vehicle that I've currently got. Right. Or the third option, obviously, is a new vehicle. Right. Um, now, now, based on some of the conversations you've had in the last few months about the direction and uh, um, where where the automotive industry is going with all the electronics, uh, that's kind of at the bottom of my A new vehicle is kind of at the bottom of my list. And and I understand and I, I understand that and let me tell you that that new truck if you buy a new F one fifty, you'll you'll spend forty grand without even breaking a sweat. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I've I've looked into it. Yeah, um, you can spend you can spend you know fifty five thousand on a on a on a F two fifty pickup King Ranch blah 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 crazy numbers. Um, let me ask you this question: Do you do you have mechanical ability? Do you like to tinker? Uh, I do. Um, but, you know, with some of these new vehicles, I don't have the skill sets. I, you know, I'm 70 years old. Okay. So, so then let's go backwards. I, let's I, go back and, you know, if you found a 65 Ford pickup truck, you know, very mechanical, basic engine and transmission, you know, um, I like that idea. And then that's kind of fun, you know. And, and, and in reality, that 65 Ford pickup, if you buy the right one, or that 55 Ford pickup or whatever it is, um, if you buy the right one, it's gonna it's gonna maintain or go up in value, whereas that that newer fifty thousand dollar vehicle, you know you lose you lose fifteen percent driving it off the lot. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I like the idea of being able to do some of the work myself. Right. You know, I, yeah. I have that skill set and I've got the tools. Right. Plus, if they ever figure out a way to jam electronic signals and the government shuts off cars, you'll be the only guy driving around. <laughs> you know, sometimes you think about that. What was that, the neutron bomb that they could come up with that would uh, wipe out uh, our electrostatic discharge? I can't think of the name of it. I'll remember after I'm off air. But anyway, listen, the clock's yeah. going to grab me, Richard. But what I would tell you is I would tell you to consider the first and the second choices. The second choice about putting the engine and the trans in is okay as long as you're willing to go the distance. This is like Rocky. you got to go the distance, man. you got to do the engine. you got to do the trans. you got to be ready to do exhaust, catalytic converters, fuel pump, the whole nine yards. And when you start to add up what that's going to cost, then you've got to look at the rust and the general condition of the vehicle. Is it worth replacing the roof on the house? Just be careful the basement isn't taking on water and the plumbing is still going to be there when you're done. When, you, when you're done evaluating that, then start to look at, okay, set a budget. You've got $25,000 to play with. What can you buy for twenty five grand in an older vehicle, a basic vehicle, get the same creature comforts you have, and still maintain, will it be worth more? Listen, I'm still looking for that 72 Chevy Monte Carlo, and when I find it, it's going to be my everyday ride, and I'll probably get rid of the 04 Suburban with all the electronics, and that 72 Monte Carlo, once I find the right one, you know what? It's just all mechanical nuts and bolts, and it's a whole lot easier to deal with, and it'll always be worth at least what I paid for it as long as I take care of it. Rich, i got to go. The clock's going to grab me. I enjoyed the conversation. If you need any more information, shoot me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. Let's real quick go over to Jeff, Lewistown, Pennsylvania, 2008 Chevy Equinox. Jeff, welcome to the Car Doctor. i got about three minutes. Okay, i got an 08 uh, Chevy Equinox and having trouble with the temperature gauge pegging out after it's set for eight hours or so. Okay. Uh, and it, it just pegs out. The motor's cold, so it can't... The, the uh, it can't be hot. So what you're saying is, you, you know, you, you shut it off Tuesday night, you wake up Wednesday morning, you go out there to start it, and you're starting a cold engine. It's sat for eight hours or longer, and the temp gauge goes right to hot. It just pins it hot, and then... That's correct. Does it sweep back, or it's always at hot? No. It's it's always at hot? Always. Okay. Uh, any any, oh. any diagnostic attempts made here? Yes. I went uh, three different dealerships. One said... Uh, uh, Head gasket right away. Another one said instrument cluster, and another one put a com- uh, an update on the computer into the motor that I guess right, it the, was diagnosed the, for right, that. The, the stepper motor. Um, you, ever, you ever play with slot cars as a kid, Jeff? Yeah. All right. So these these things are like slot car motors. They're just little electronic, you know, stepper motors there that basically react and you know move the brusher around and make the position. The guys, right. the guys who said head gasket, I think they're out to lunch. I don't see how it can be. No, um, my my, that's the way I felt too. Right. You know, and my argument would be if you started that cold one morning, not start it, but just turn the key on, 
Yeah. Does it pin right to hot then as well? Yes. So, you know, what? It knows it's going to overheat, so it goes to that position automatically. We have cars that are that smart. Smart cars, look at that. They know when they're going to be bad, so they break themselves. Right. Um, you know, so that doesn't make any sense. I was really going to put it more towards an instrument cluster, which is not completely uncommon, and the reflash, which is part of it. So do this. Take it to a mechanic. Have him plug a scan tool in, all right, and just look at the temperature. I'm sure the temperature is going to read ambient temperature when it's cold when you first go look at it in the morning all right and then have them just look for codes any fault codes in it and then at that point do a functional sweep test of the temp gauge using the scan tool can they get it to move and if they can't then you've got a fault in the instrument cluster and it's gonna have to be diagnosed and repaired they did have problems with printed circuit boards see ya